Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those embarrassed young men. My name is Ben Harrison. My name is Adam Pranica. My mother-in-law gave me a Hanukkah gift of uh, metal straws. Oh, I gave my uh, wife that gift as a stocking stuffer. uh, So, uh, two... Two holidays, same great gift. <laughs> uh, Did she forget? That no, it- I love I love these straws, but I uh, I realize that they're a little bit in- incompatible with what I use them for, which is often to have a nice, um, you know, something to wet my whistle while I'm casting pod. Sure. And they they make little, you know, they're they're a noisy straw compared to mm. the the ones that are garbaging up the oceans. You know what you need to do is uh is put a rubber sleeve on that metal straw. Yeah, I was thinking that like a little silicone bumper. Right. You need a you need a sleeve for your straw, clearly. You, you got a pack of vests for your Jimmy in the city of six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife has not used hers yet. She got the I don't know whether this was an error on my part, but I did not get her the uh, the shorty size. I got her like the taller Collins length straw. Yeah, that's what I've got as well. Uh, right move for most situations, you think? I would say that most straw situations you do want the taller. Yeah. A couple, there are a couple of scenarios where you want the shorter, though. Like if you're making a... Uh, if you're making like a Spanish style gin and tonic and you serve mm-hmm. it in like a wine glass, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you want a short straw for that. If you're serving a drink in a coconut, you don't want a big long straw unless you unless you go hard in the other direction and you go crazy long straw. Yeah. Yeah, for effect. Yeah. That's what you want. Which I'm not opposed to. I'm all about a coconut with a big crazy straw coming out of it. I feel like I'm not often drinking a big beverage, like in a in a Collins or or pint glass sized vessel. I'm yeah. mostly drinking out of a out of a highball sized glass. I'm drinking something out of a uh, like a Collins glass right now, and so are you, Adam, because I have just taken out my Quark's Bar certificate and I am placing it on the table in between us and making significant eye contact. Wow. You know, you always drink alone. Fuck, I was not expecting this. <laughs> I was not expecting this, but I think I can do it. So I'm going to say right. I'm going to uh, accept your coupon. <laughs> well, that's how these work. You have to accept it. Yeah, yeah, there's no turning it down. Shit, I got to go. Can't, uh, hey, Can't wait to get this uh, this shoulder rub one out <laughs> on, a, on a future episode. I've got a question for you now. Like, uh, this isn't something you have to do, but do you have a recommended drink or cocktail that I should go and prepare for this one? I know it's kind of putting you on the spot. I don't know. Why don't you drink some tequila sodas or something? Can you put that together? I can absolutely do that. Uh, I'm going to do that right now, Ben. 
I want you to start with a shot of tequila, though, just to get the ball rolling. I like it. I like it. And I'm back. Okay. I've got a shot of the best tequila I have in the house. That's the Paradiso <laughs> Double Añejo that oh, yeah. you, and I, you and I both love. That was uh, that was given to us by our first ever sponsor, if I'm not mistaken. It's true. Yeah, Northwest Tequila Fest back and, in the uh, uh, back in the dark days before we had any income for this show. Nostrovia, Ben. As is customary when drinking tequila. <laughs> All right. Sort of a bigger shot than, uh, I mean, I'm the master of the house. I guess I, guess I pour myself a big shot. Yeah. Enjoy. This wasn't a, was a shot it. for a guest. And then I got a, <laughs> a, a big pint glass sized tequila soda. This, of course, uh, is Greatest Gen Con Tour Fuel. This is, this is an old favorite. Yeah, we... Uh... We typically take quite a bit of tequila soda out on stage with us. We try to provision ourselves for the hour and a half or whatever that we're going to be out there. You learn a lot when you do a live show. And maybe the the biggest surprise lesson that we learned is how efficient we need to be with liquid consumption on stage. <laughs> because those first couple of shows where we were just drinking beers and, and having a good time, that is bad. You can't do that because you need to pee. Yeah. It, there's basically nothing worse than being like in the middle of act four of a five-act film that we then have to like do P1s and Shimodas and yeah. and a, a lot of business still to come. And you're like, I desperately need to pee. I've never needed to pee worse in my entire life. It becomes all you can think about. And that's not good when you're trying to also think about cracking up the other person. Yeah. Because <laughs> cracking each other up is a gift we give each other, Adam. And speaking of gifts... Why don't we uh, check in with the old Uxbridge Shimoda P.O. box? Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Oh, it is stuffed full, Ben. I just did a P.O. box run, and uh, I think it's time to go through what we got. I think uh, I'm going to start with the card. As I... And want to do, it's from Joe from Melbourne, Florida. <laughs> do they pronounce it that way in Florida, too? Fucking Reddit people are are starting to give me shit over my pronunciation specifically of things. Oh, I I, uh, I caught a ration of shit for my pronunciation of th- some things on uh, Friendly Fire recently, so I can... Give me a fucking break. <laughs> you try to host a podcast and say everything perfectly. We got a card in here. It's interesting because I totally used, like, I never wrote anybody about it, I don't think, but I definitely used to, like, have that thought all the time. Like, come on, that's not how you say that. And I'm so much more forgiving now that I, I get shit for almost everything I say. I've never been moved to write, which is the difference. Ben, we've got a holiday card here with the doggo on the front. Oh. he's uh, He's been playing in the snow. <laughs> Love that. Uh, Nothing message- a doggo loves more than playing in the snow. My doggo loves the snow, uh, specifically. He he just won't stop running. Yeah, yeah, same. Message inside says, "May the magic of Christmas be with you in every season." That's the uh, that's the typed part. But we have some handwritten text here. It says, "Hey Ben and Adam, Merry Christmas to the best podcasters 
brought, that brought together the best friends I've ever known. Wow. I'm so glad I got to meet up with you twice this year and hang out with you and the bosom in Atlanta, not to mention <laughs> seeing you in Denver with a lifelong friend and a very special young lady I met in the WHB, the warm honeyed bosom is what that means. You truly are a blessing with love, Joe. You know, no one has ever called us that. The warm honeyed bosom is really more dating surface than fan community at this point. I'm beginning to think that uh, that bosom isn't isn't what they should be using as, as what is warm and honeyed, given <laughs> how everyone's pairing off in that group. Yeah, I agree. Just make sure you pack a vest for your Jimmy in the city of sex. <laughs> we have, uh, we're, we're going up in size. We're going to Manila Envelope this time. It's from Eli and Allie from Minneapolis, one of our favorite places. Looks like we got, oh, we've got a Mindful magazine with Nana Visitor on the cover. I saw this at a, uh, at a grocery store last month. She's, uh, this is one of those magazines that's about, uh, about Meditation. being present. Yeah. Cool. And the penmanship on this letter is spectacular. It almost looks like it's computer generated. Wow. And I mean that as a compliment. I wish I could write like this. Letter says, please accept this gift as an apology for asking you to riff an episode of Babylon 5 at the Minneapolis live show. We have learned our lesson. <laughs> please come back on your tour next year. <laughs> Oh, man. After the warm welcome Minneapolis has given us the last two times we've been there, I don't think there's any way we skip yeah. the bigger and better of the Twin Cities. Shots fired! Yeah, we can't <laughs> uh, we can't take a sky bridge over Minneapolis into another part of the country. We've got to let our feet hit the ground in Minneapolis. Letter continues, Also a question, if you were forced to inhabit the mind and body of a DS9 character being John Malkovich style for the rest of your life, who would you pick? <laughs> oh, man. Um, Mind and body. Snap. I mean, Cisco is tempting because he's, he's got a great mind and a, an aspirational body. Uh-huh. It's both good and aspirational. <laughs> that aspirational. Yeah. I don't know, man. Morn, probably? He seems like he has a pretty chill life. Answer's easy for me. I'm gonna say Odo. Because <laughs> you, you wanna test all the questions that we've asked. I think if you can live as long as I imagine a founder could live, I think you could fix your mind in that amount of time. I mean, he's not, he's not great mentally, but I think uh -huh. with some work he could, uh, he could... He could make some headway there. Plus, like he's not taking any active measures on the mental health front, which I think is sad. You he know? needs a subscription to Mindful Magazine. That's what he needs. Yeah, yeah. Pretty psyched to uh, to read this one. As a daily meditator myself, maybe I'll get some more out of it. So, uh, letter finishes up. Thank you. Hope you enjoy the weird magazine from my local co-op. You guys are the best, Allie and Eli. Thanks, cool. Allie and Eli. Thank you. Oh, Ben. Our next box comes from one of the best friends of DeSoto. Box is from Bill Tilly. What? <laughs> Bill Tilly, 1973. Bill Tilly from Star Trek Las Vegas. Bill Tilly from that show in Cleveland, the first time we met him. Bill Tilly should be running every panel at Star Trek Las Vegas. 
Doesn't get any better than Bill Tilly. That's what I say. He oh, can look. he can split the job up with Bree Belke. All right, we got a box for you, Ben, and out of respect for you, I won't open it. I'll stick it in the pile that I have to bring to you for our next live show. Looking forward to. Inside, we've got a bunch of Mega Constructs action figures. We've got Captain Picard and Borg drone versions, and these are like little, uh, these are minifig style. These are like that action figures. That, that brand that is like interoperable with Legos, but is not Legos. Right. What I like about these is that the accessories that come with them actually uh, look like they gave a shit. So, like the tricorder looks like a tricorder, the phaser rifle looks like a phaser rifle. It's not purple. Oh boy. (laughs) There are cards for your wife, my wife, and you and me. (laughs) So, uh, I'm going to put the your wife card in your pile. I'm going to reserve the one for my wife. And uh, I'm going to open up the one for you and me. Cool. Cover says, Merry Trexmas. <laughs> the inside says, Merry Trexmas, boys. These are just a few things Fecklar Claus left for you. <laughs> <laughs> he and I hope they You bring- are not Fecklar, <laughs> Bill Tilly. If you're bad for... Christmas, does Fecklar Claus just leave a stocking full of drool? I think so. (laughs) He and I hope they bring honor to your holiday season. Thank you for all your hard work, and thanks for making me a part of the team and the credits, too. It means more than you know. Here's to a better 2019 for us all, and the notes to the wives are sincere thank yous for me. They deserve it. Have a great holiday. From Bill. Bill Tilly. Man. Guy's the best. Just nobody better. Uh, you should know, Ben. There is another box we're going up in size, also from Bill Tilly. What? Bill, our cup runneth over. Give me a break. I keep thinking Bill should start a Patreon for the cards. <laughs> you should. You because, should. I mean, I think he puts in enough work to be to be earning some beer money slash uh, go see us at. All of our tour dates money Slash go to Star Trek Las Vegas money That guy, that guy's the best, he works hard His money is no good at our tour dates, Adam I know, I know, but he's got to get there This box is filled with classic Star Trek comics Cool Wow, like like old enough to be 35 cents <laughs> Really cool so we got, a, we got a stack of Star Trek comics here. One of the price them of an average comic book has gone up like an order of magnitude since those came out. Yeah, there's one in here that's $4, so go figure. The $4 one has Ro Laren on the cover. So I imagine that's why. Nice to hear that drop after such a long time. In addition... Somebody was suggesting that we should use the Ro drop on Kira. Oh, I, I don't get hate into it, that. but I also feel like that's Rose Drop. Yeah. We're never going to see her again, though. I know. Ben, we have, because Bill is infinitely considerate to us both, we have duplicates of these gifts. So what we have is a Star Trek Inner Space Excelsior Class Starship mini playset. What? And it's the USS Hood. Cool. <laughs> and it's and there's a Riker and Jordy minifig that goes inside. No way. Which is great. I love that we're like uh, like 
Can you, this, uh, this Jackie and Laurie, a picture of that to me? Yeah. Thank you, Bill Tilly. One of the greats. One of the greats for all time. I don't make deserve him. I'll make sure, uh, I'll make sure you get your due out of the Bill Tilly boxes. <laughs> wow, Adam. Well, that is a, uh, a great big haul. I feel like that haul is like m- mid-period Twitter of everybody posting pictures of their Christmas haul. Right. You know? Yeah. That, there was a time for that. That's, uh, that's an era that's come and gone, but uh, that's kind of how that, that felt. Fun opening those presents uh, with you. We're uh, we're really lucky to have so many good friends of DeSoto. Yeah, uh, Adam, how are you doing with your beverage there? Uh, I'm about halfway through. I I mean, my hands were pretty busy with the opening and talking of the thing. I'm kind of like the uh, the dinner companion who's been talking the whole time and has not eaten his meal. Boy, that dinner companion drives me crazy. <laughs> I am so preoccupied with what's going on with that dinner companion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm not quite ready for a refill, but uh, rest assured. Because I'm just know. sitting there wolfing my food down and then thinking about how long I'm going to have to sit there talking to these people while this person finishes their food. You're sitting there like a Miles Edward O'Brien with a napkin tucked, tucked in, his, uh, in the top of his shirt. Yep. That's you. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Speaking of Miles Edward O'Brien, Adam, do you want to get into today's episode? Gotta do that. It's season three, episode 24 of Deep Space Nine. It's Shakar. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. The Chief has got... Commander Sisko down in the bar playing darts with him. Got you this time, Chief. Kind of like this round robining of the darts game. It's not just a thing for O'Brien and Bashir. Anyone no. can play if you want to. Uh, anybody that is willing to pierce Morn with a, a needle can can play this game. You know what's nice about it is it's not exclusive like the TNG poker game. You know, it's out in the open. Anyone can play. There's no like class system about it. Yeah, and the and and the big boss gets involved. You know, he should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien's like, why are why are you being like this? Like, we're just, we're just playing darts. <laughs> what is with this sincerity? Why? Why the why the like long pause for dramatic effect while you while you take it all in for one last moment? <laughs> O'Brien's like I get where, the where distinct, are you going? I get the distinct feeling that we're all gonna die soon. <laughs> I'm really glad that the future has obliterated the plastic dart board with all the little micro holes in it and the stupid plastic dart oh, that's with a the plastic dart. tip. Yeah. Like, that's often the dartboard you get at a bar. That's no fun. Is that a liability issue? I think it's got to be, yeah. I mean, you, you could tell that Quark has a pretty generous liability insurance policy given what happened to Morn when they installed this thing and the yeah. fact that it has stayed installed in the same spot since right. then. <laughs> yeah, I think they probably took the bar stools away. The adjusters just don't get out to Deep Space Nine that often. (laughs) Give me a bottle episode with the space insurance adjuster. (laughs) I'd love that. 
this game, you know, looks like it's going Cisco's way, but then suddenly it's going O'Brien's way. And uh, Cisco is saved by the bell. He gets a uh, priority message from the Provizhgov, which is uh, what everybody calls the uh, the people right. in charge of Bajor, <laughs> uh-huh. who's pressed for time, you know. Right. Right. If you just want to get it out, that's how you say it. I thought that this was an interesting moment because I kind of had a fantasy that we would never get to the bottom of what that priority one message was. Mm -hmm. Like given the way the camera kind of like starts to follow Cisco out, but then lingers on Bashir. And I thought that that would be cool. Like a, like an interesting way to get Cisco out of a scene, but also like this show has demonstrated an interest in characters that are not privy to priority one messages and giving them, you know, full fledged episodes. So, Uh, it doesn't go that way in this one, but it, it kind of like head fakes to, to going that way. And I thought that was a cool idea. And I hope they mess around with that idea more often. I was kind of wincing, expecting a shop on the promenade to explode. <laughs> kind of feels like that's how that episode started, too. It does. Yeah. But now uh, we get to, we go to uh, Major Kira's quarters where she is doing some Spock-like meditation and it's prayer interruptus as uh, Cisco enters to deliver some pretty weighty news. The first minister of the provisional government has died. I thought this scene was notable for a couple of reasons. One is that I think when you are you are speaking in Babel it's got to be much easier as an actor to have your eyes open and instead, like, pick up a card that's in your eye line. I think, yeah. notably, Nana Visitor is doing this eyes closed, which would indicate, if this is a real language and a real prayer, a phonetic memorization of it, which I think is fucking spectacular. Uh, and the second note I have about this scene is that her prayer lamp has dicks all over it. <laughs> really yeah yeah there's like uh i don't know how many sides it has it's like if it has eight sides it has eight dicks on all of the flat sides of the prayer lamp it sure does yeah i mean it's like a simplification of that bajoran symbol but it simplifies it into a dick (laughs) which in itself is a very simple thing yeah uh the simplest really (laughs) the scene where she's praying i thought I don't know if this was intentional or not, but uh, it, to me, kind of picked up the visual language of that opening shot of Cisco concentrating on the dartboard. Mm. Like they're they're both kind of very close up shots that orbit to some extent around the character's head. Yeah, and uh, I like I like a lot of the camera work in this episode, and that that goes for crazy wide shots and crazy close ups like these. Uh, this is the very first episode of Deep Space Nine directed by a man named Jonathan West. If that is uh, if that becomes notable down the road, he yeah. would go on to direct four more episodes of Deep Space Nine after this. Nice. I I felt like the camera work was noteworthily good in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the uh, head of the Bajoran provisional government has passed away, and uh, Kira is asked to contemplate something that I'm very, you know, like sometimes, 
like watching Star Trek, you kind of wish you lived in that world, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if I could project myself into being a crew member of the Enterprise D, like that's an adventure I would aspire to go on. Yeah. But uh, this is one of those scenes that brings home, like maybe you don't want to live in these characters' shoes because she's asked to contemplate, what if the leader of your government was the worst possible person? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know and i would hate to i mean i couldn't even like imagine that. what that would be like not even imagine like if you could think of the worst person for a job like that i mean it's hard to even consider what life would be like in those circumstances yeah like how awful it would be on a daily basis to to cope to just have like the most dumbass person yeah. It, it's sort of like, like somebody who is like so nakedly bad and would probably put a lot of people in harm's way unduly just for their own self-interest. Yeah, so uh Cisco tells Kira that uh the weird Bajoran line of succession means that <laughs> Kai Win will be the new head of the provisional government should should nothing else happen. And then we get a weird thing, Ben. We get soap opera strings to to show open. This clanged off of my ears really hard, and then I was compelled to look it up. This is a brand new uh, composer in this app that they're trying out. And uh, not a good start, I thought. I mean, (laughs) the start didn't work for me, I should say. Yeah. I like where it goes after the open. Agreed. It's initially just bad news, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and Kira is... At a at a one on one with Odo, where Odo is going over some kind of pro forma update, the brass on the security situation, kind of thing, mm-hmm. and Kira is just totally preoccupied with the political situation. She can't really focus on uh, on her work. I'm a little preoccupied with her hair, which seems to have changed in the couple of episodes that she hasn't really been in. Last few times, I uh, I feel like she looks great, and but different is what I mean. It's maybe a midpoint between the hair she initially had and the kind of much more close-cut version yeah. she had that I liked and you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. What Odo is able to draw out of her is that Kira still blames Wynne for Burial's death, which is true. Yes. Kai Wynne was super fucked up. In and the circumstances leading up to that. And he's and, like, you, uh, sh- you should have hired a PR firm to get the word out about <laughs> what she did in that circumstance. And, uh, like, rightfully, she is afraid that once Wynne gets gets political power in addition to her vast religious power, uh, she'll never let it go. And if she's given power, she's never going to let it go. Odo says something here that uh, basically reaches through the screen grabs you by the lapels, and makes you sit up super straight. His quote about freedom of choice being a great thing, but also uh, having the unfortunate consequence of occasionally allowing people to make the wrong choice. Yeah, and uh, that felt like a very Picard observation in in an interesting way. I'm Um, glad they gave that observation to Odo because it feels like for the last half dozen eps, 
Odo has been making a statement about what he sees as the state of things, and he gets cut down by a guy like Garrick, for example. Right. Like he's often been wrong with his suppositions, uh, but he is spot on here, and I think that was a good thing to do for his character. So they have not spent a lot of time over the last several episodes making mention of how deeply Kira is still in the mourning process. Yeah. So they have to return to the prayer candle scene just to like double down on that mm-hmm. idea in this episode. Right. She is uh she has returned to the eternal flame of dicks and uh Kai Wen uh pays her a surprise visit in her quarters. The tomb of the unknown dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kira just can't get a prayer through without being interrupted. Shalaka. Yes. Hello, child. We're made to understand that this is very late at night. Kira, get out of her, your work uniform and into some jammers. Or at least just take the top tunic off and have that cool tank top with the with the triangle pattern on it. I wish she had some of that Wrath of Khan style uniform design where she could at least like unbutton the top part and sort of flap it over. Yeah, get that pizza flap. (laughs) Oh boy. The moment when Wynne enters and Kira attempts to be just baseline kind to her and then they they short in very short order get into the contest of who knew Barile better. It they are just like taking the bark off of each other <laughs> back and forth. It is a real, like they're two super talented actors and yeah. it's a very subdued scene but but they really shred each other and and it's yeah. so it's all very like understated and and kind of like backhanded compliments and stuff. It's really fun. I loved him as did I. Is that why you never mention Boral's name when you talk about your peace treaty with Cardassia? As I recall, he's the one who negotiated it. The restraint that the Kira character shows for the Wynn character, like, you can see her struggle with... There's, like, the delivery of a line that is maybe a half a second late because there's some self-censoring happening in the moment Yeah. that I think is so next level. It is... It's really good. Yeah. And um, what comes out in this conversation is that Wynn is actually going to send Kira on a mission. And uh, I guess she's now like the commander-in-chief of the Bajoran militia, so she can do this. And uh, she uh, the issue is that um, Kira's old uh, commander in the resistance, Shakar, has, uh, has taken possession of some farm equipment that... Kai Wynn really wants to deploy to a different province than the province they're currently in for cash crop reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that like the weirdest thing about the way this is unveiled for Kira is that uh, that Kai Wynn introduces him as a man you know very well, a man named Chikar. <laughs> like, that is such a weird way of talking. Like, I, I mean, if that'd be like me saying, Adam. Uh, I had a hamburger with a man very recently, a man you know, who co-hosts a war movie podcast with you, a man named John Roderick. Yeah, it feels like 
it feels like this is a scene that could use a light rewrite in that way because this is a scene that is speaking to the viewer instead of character to character. Yeah, and it's a way it, it forces words into the mouth of wind that she would never say in that way. And yeah. you know, Louise Fletcher is a great actor and and can pull it off, but it did bump me a little bit. Yeah, the idea is that post occupation. Bajor was kind of left in ruins, and that's the part that we know. The part that we know a little bit less about is that, like, the fertile areas of Bajor were, in many instances, poisoned and sort yeah, of there dust was like a up. Sh- Sherman's March style Cardassian project to to ruin the arable land on Bajor before they left. Yeah, and so this farm equipment are soil reclamators that can put things right and make the the land uh, able to be cultivated again. Shikar's people have these reclamators in Dakur, and where Kai Wynn wants them is Rakantha because of these uh, cash crops that you mentioned. Yeah, so basically Kira's mission is go talk some sense into this guy because, I mean, the way Wynn paints it is that he's basically stolen them from the government. Right. It makes Shakar seem like a real asshole, and that just doesn't fit with Kira's picture of him as a person. You know, she talks about right. how he's one of the most selfless people there is. So Kira beams down to the Bajoran Dust Bowl, and there's a jazz horse style cabin there with a <laughs> with a door that it looks like you can open, and that's good. Yeah, you don't just slam your shoulder against it. You can try throwing dynamite at it and it won't open for some reason. That's weird. <laughs> Seems like it would. This is the beginning of an argument against this episode that I'm going to describe as the Ripley problem. Because the legend of Kira up until now has painted her as kind of a heroic Ellen Ripley figure. And... She beams down there, and she finds her old buddy Shakar. And Shakar, we're led to believe, is a is a hero of the of the occupation. He's a guy. He's a hero of the resistance. Yeah. But what we see in Shakar is a really beautiful looking man who doesn't look like a farmer or a hero. Like he's. I've my problem with him is that he's too good looking for his legend. He kind of looks like Chris Brenner. Chris Brenner. <laughs> Farmer edition. <laughs> right. Yeah. Shikar, though, also likes her old hair better, too, which I think is hilarious that they keep calling that back. Like, <laughs> like Resistance era Kira evidently just had fucking great hair that everyone loved. I mean, we know that. We've seen it. <laughs> Everyone's so disappointed in Kira's hair right now. <laughs> kind of messed up. Before we get too far from what shakar looks like i just just popped into my head as you were saying that uh you know and spoiler alert but john doman is a character in this episode yeah does does it make more sense to switch who these two actors are playing i felt exactly the same way honestly i i feel like doman's the more farmer looking guy and also the more grizzled veteran looking yeah agreed was this the playset that they used in the episode where Kira had to go talk some Bajorans off of their off of their land in the in the pizza oven uh, I was, planet? I was definitely looking for a Bajoran pizza oven <laughs> in this exterior shot. Yeah, 
um, it's kind of a similar premise too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. go go do a thing that is bad for the people that you love, uh, because now you have a hard job in the military where you don't always get to choose what your mission is. Right. The aliens and Ellen Ripley comparison is one of the things I had in mind, but another thing I couldn't help thinking of at this moment in time was a first blood way of thinking. Like this whole Kira returning home looking for an old friend situation. Uh huh. And I wish tonally it edged more in that direction than the direction it ended up going. Yeah. There's the joy of reunification with these old people, but there isn't there isn't the pain, like the the vein of hurt that people who have fought a war together, I feel like would credibly feel at this moment. It's too happy. I agree. Like, and, and I think that I kind of think it's the guy that plays Pharrell, and I'm not talking about a member of the Neptunes. I'm talking about a Bajoran right. guy with only one arm. Yeah. I just don't think he brings any pathos to the role. I really like him. Like, if you're casting for to be liked, I feel like this episode is is well cast, as well cast as any other ep. But you're right. I wanna I wanna feel the pain a little bit more, and I'm not getting it here. With I'm the not casting getting it choices. from him specifically. I do feel like I get it from Lupaza, played by Diane Salinger from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I know you're right, but but what? Everyone I know has a big butt. She played Simone, Adam. I know. I, I recognized her, her for her voice. And then, Ben, I have to admit, I recognized her for her boobs. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, uh, Diane Salinger, like, what, how old were you the first time you watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure? I can't remember a time when I hadn't seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure, so... This is going to sound... There's there's a way to put this that doesn't make me look like an asshole, and I'm going to try to put it that way. <laughs> Adam, I think everybody has formed their opinion one way or the other on whether they think you're an asshole. But, like, I was at a very impressionable age when I watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and I feel like the moment that I saw the character of Simone, and I fell in love with her rightfully, because yeah. she is a great character and kind of the emotional core of Pee-wee's Big Adventure... Mm-hmm. I feel like hers were foundational boobs for me. Wow. Like I saw them and I saw her and I like, like her entire character, both physically and mentally had such an impression on me that I was like, yes, this is right. This is what I'm attracted to. Man, I um, personally have had a lot of struggle in my life because the female character that I really imprinted on sexually was Large Marge. <laughs> <laughs> oh Ben, uh the the character you imprinted on was not Large Marge, it was her ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that, Ben. I'm not sure if you knew. Maybe that's what's uh maybe that's what's holding me up, is that I <laughs> I, I'm only sexually attracted to people from the other side. You're a you're a paranormal sexual. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. <laughs> We've made a lot of progress here. <laughs> to be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm talking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Adam, the deep B story of this episode is that O'Brien, having beaten Cisco in a forfeit, is on a hot streak playing yeah. darts. He can't lose. I don't feel like you get hot on the basis of someone else forfeiting, by the way. That is such a great point, and it's something I only thought of like as we were sitting down to record this. Quark does make the case that he's won 46 straight games, so like, if if Cisco forfeited here, then, I mean, maybe a dozen, there were a dozen other forfeits. Yeah, I guess that, that does make me wonder, was Cisco in the midst of the streak? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, Ben, I'm ready for a refill, but let's uh, let's finish up this scene and then I'll go get one. Okay. I, I don't want you to stop drinking. It's important to me that you continue. This being your Quark's Bar episode. Right. Quark will not uh, let an opportunity like this go by. He, uh, he starts announcing to the whole bar that O'Brien's uh, streak is something that he is taking bets on. Thank you all for your gaming business. How does it work? I mean, I, I know that, like, Floyd Mayweather gets a huge pile of money every time he does a boxing match. That's from the betting, right? Or is that just from selling the rights to air it? As a degenerate gambler, here is what I will tell you. <laughs> the gambling logic of the scenes with O'Brien does not make a ton of sense because they don't give any backstory to what Quark may be making on the... On like the the television rights to it, for example, like yeah. what what we know is that the odds on O'Brien are like they rise to fifteen to one, which is like whatever. What a casino wants to do is yeah. to get even action on both sides. Like right. that's that's what they want. And so by Quark making a big deal about O'Brien being a fifteen to one favorite, it doesn't matter. Like all it does is is tell the viewer that O'Brien is a heavy favorite. It does not tell the viewer what Quark stands to make outside of food and yeah. beverage sales on on attendance. And I feel like there's two lines missing from these scenes that would that would cinch that up. I mean, it's crazy to think of. I would never imagine that somebody would be bad enough at business to lose money running a gambling operation like this. Yeah, that that seems really far-fetched. Like it strains credulity. Yeah. Right. But uh but yeah, like so yeah, so what you're saying essentially is that Cork is making a percentage on every bet placed no matter which side it's on. And and also should be making money on on all the all the ancillary purchases surrounding if what he's doing is only making a profit on a bet that pays, if you bet on O'Brien and it's and you bet a hundred dollars and you get ninety dollars back if you win, like that's that's how Vegas makes money on sports betting. Yeah, that's how they encourage people to bet on on underdogs, for example, or to parlay bets together in order to win. But yeah, yeah I don't see a clear path on how Quark is making a bundle on this. It doesn't make sense, and uh, it's not. It doesn't matter that much because this scene happens like two more times. <laughs> yeah, uh, the scene of me refilling my cocktail might also happen two more times. Uh, I'm gonna go do the first one right now. 
Back on Bajor, we get a scene that looks like a very post-dinner drinking hangs situation. I'm, I'm a fan of this type of situation. It's social drinking hangs with Kira, Pharrell, who's the one-armed guy. It's Shakar and Lupaza. And Pharrell shares a story from uh, being interrogated, wherein he sort of came to grips with the idea that he was, like, many times you will see this in a war film or another depiction of heroism. A person makes a bargain. Like, he bargains with his creator about, like, if you just get me out of this shit... Uh, I'll do anything. I, yeah. I'll give my life for these other people if you spare theirs. And and what he describes is a situation where he's willing to give his life, but instead, all he loses is an, is his arm, and uh, the rest of them were saved. It only cost me an arm. I felt the the profits were generous, and he felt like he shouldn't get his arm replaced, which is available from a medical science standpoint. Because that would be sort of a violation of the arrangement he made with the prophets. They do that thing where uh, Kira's like, so why didn't you go ahead and like get the Federation-issued multi-arm tool that, <laughs> that they install for people who are amputees? Right. You barely notice Pharrell doesn't have that arm. And I don't know if it's an issue with costuming or framing, yeah. but I feel like they should have made that more of a foreground thing than how it is. Is the actor who plays him actually armless? <laughs> I should have looked this up, and I didn't. Because I think that the reason, like, my my guess in watching this was that the reason he was being framed that way was that he is not, in fact... Yeah, he's just tied up. ...missing an arm, and they didn't, you know, it does, he's, he's a... A fairly barrel-chested man, so there's not like a bunch of space under his shirt yeah. <laughs> to hide the yeah. the tied-down arm. But I don't know. I agree that it was weird. Yeah, like I kind of wish that there was an appliance on his arm, just to serve as a reminder of his of his time in war. That was a little yeah. bit more stark. No, I agree. Pharrell and Lupaza do play that game of whose land is more toxic, and that's kind right. of fun. <laughs> yeah, a, a toxicity measuring contest. Yeah, they're they're doing some dozens here. Like Lupaza, your your land is so toxic. It's uh, instead of soil, it's got pasta sauce. <laughs> yeah, the most toxic substance, Adam. <laughs> I'm barely holding it together right now. Are you pretty drunk? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling great. That's good. I think to Kira's credit, she is uh, arguing the case for what Kai Wynn asked her to do, which is basically say, like, I know it sucks here, and, like, the time will come that you guys get the thing that you need, but f for, like, a greater good standpoint, an, a needs-of-the-many standpoint, yeah, maybe the soil recommender should go to the other province for now so that we can get our interstellar economy back going. And a couple of interesting things are revealed about this deal. Like one of them that Shakar explains to her is that they have been in the queue for this equipment for a long time. It's like it's like government equipment that's been deployed to a bunch of different parts of the planet to fix their soil. And they were supposed to be next. They're supposed to have the gear for the next year. And 
suddenly the government just kind of reneged on its promise. This is a moment in the episode that the logic of it kind of fell apart for me because if Kira has Cisco's ear and Cisco has the ear of Starfleet, like I understand that Bajor isn't a Federation member, but mm-hmm. like there was that episode in TNG where they dropped a couple of replicators off on a planet just just to be nice, just to be good. Yeah. I think it was Bajorans that they gave those to, right? Yeah, and I don't understand why this technology isn't so reproducible that they can't make them yeah. in a quantity that actually helps here. There needed to be some some language about what it was that made this an, a very limited resource, these, these soil reclamators. The technology, though, of of their scarcity serves the story in such a way that it makes you side with Shikar and the rebels. Like, and you need to do that as a viewer. Yeah. And, um, it is super unreasonable the way they've been asked to just give these back up. Like promises were made and like nothing is being done to mitigate the damage of those promises being changed up all of a sudden. Shakar is really convincing here with his position, and I think it it presents a really good like micro versus macro problem. Kira's like, look, if we can big picture this and get these reclamators in a situation where the economy of our entire planet can change based on its ability to trade with other partners, like it yeah. changes the game in terms of of our membership in the Federation. And Shakar looks out on his dust bowl and he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, I want to grow carrots. Yeah. Like, like, give me the chance to grow carrots. And she's like, Shakar, I don't want to shoot your pizza oven, but I'm willing to do it. <laughs> yeah. I've shot pizza ovens before. I'll do it again. There's also another thing that happens here that is super interesting is that Kira convinces Shakar just to talk to Kai Wynn. Yeah. And what they don't, what they don't emphasize here is that Kira knows that Kai Wynn is a terrible negotiator. And I knew <laughs> as a viewer that like, oh, this could be a great setup. Like you get Shakar and Wynn in a room, like Shakar is going to out negotiate her and this is going to be a win for Shakar. But it's not yeah. mentioned and it's not even alluded to. Right. I will give this this moment credit, though, just for being like more true to life than TV generally is. I feel like. If the person disagrees in real life, the next step is like, can we like get you two together and work to a compromise? Yeah. But in television, it's almost always like this would be the precipitating moment for it turning into like the set tripping, yeah. crazy running around with guns that it turns into. Yeah. But instead, there's like a an appeal to di- diplomacy in this moment, which I did like. And Shikar agrees to it, and then after agreeing to it, like he tells her he misses her, and then gives her that I miss you hug that lingers a little too long, and then a little bit of a stare down, and then a look away. I think a stare down and a look away means something, Ben. Yeah, that was not lost on me. Yeah. I think Beryl's death is still, like, like as long as Kira is still praying to the penis flame, (laughs) I think there's no chance for her to move on. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that a lot of us probably need to stop doing. (laughs) What are you doing now? Picard, Picard, Picard. 
so Kira's got to go back to the uh, to the Bajoran government building and talk to Kai Wen. And she's like, look, here's the deal. You got to talk to the Shikar guy. Shikar wants to keep the reclamators for six months. I think that's reasonable. They, like, give them a chance to, th- to fix their soil. Damn you. Like, just give them a chance. And, yeah. uh, and Kai Wen is playing hardball. She was expecting Kira to make with the reclamators, and she hasn't done that. It's been a huge failure. And, and Kira's pushing for a compromise is even more. It, it gives Kai Wen even more of a stink face. Kai Wen just kind of kicks her off of Bajor and back to Deep, Deep Space Nine in a tombstone-esque kind of, oh, Major Kira, I didn't notice you were still there kind of way. <laughs> Which is such a fucking dick power move. It really was. I mean... I think that her character, Kai Wen's character, is so well written, though. Like yeah. the, like that is such a type. It's well cast too. Like she is hand in glove with that character in a really great way. Like the person who just like on principle doesn't believe in compromise, being yeah. presented that as like a, hey, I didn't do what you asked, but this was the, so this was the best I can do in lieu of that. Yeah, is like no better than nothing for Kai Wen. You've done enough already. And please give my best regards to Commander Sisko. It's hard not to notice Kaiwen's executive desk set, though, which looks like a couple of Tesla coils. Yeah, she has like an e-meter on her desk. Is she an, a Bajoran holy figure or a Scientology holy figure? I don't know, but I heard the brunch there is great. <laughs> a lot of quiche, right? <laughs> That's what they're famous for. Yeah. So Kira shares the bad news with Shakar, and Shakar is a little bit pissed that, that Kira's been rebuffed in this way, but the pissed-offness doesn't last very long because the militia comes to arrest Shakar. Are you Shakar? Yes. You're under arrest. The militia enters, and Kira and Shakar just fucking clobber them. It's great. Yeah. It's one of those things where the upper right-hand part of the screen turns into a wanted poster and it's all red <laughs> yeah and then they have to go hide for a while while that while the while the bar kind of drops back down to gray shikar's like you don't want to follow me babe <laughs> this, is, this is not your fight but kira is like emboldened by shikar's whole deal like i feel like kira there's like a sense memory to the resistance that she finds very enticing like she's ready yeah. to resist again yeah and uh and so like they uh, they all meet up in the caves. Pharrell and Lupaz are there. They have a cache of weapons in the Star Trek caves that is like, it's like 40 Pelican cases of guns. That's a general idea. The Kardashians spent 10 years searching for us in these mountains. Some police will probably give up in 10 days. I'm not so sure about that. I thought this was so interesting, like the idea that the war has been over for such a long time now. And they are still in full doomsday prepper dig in on Iwo Jima mode with, yeah. with the way they, they run shit. There's a resistance province. refractory period here and they're still yeah. in it. Yeah, the half-life is a lot longer than it takes to establish a peace treaty with Cardassia. Yeah. But uh, there's like basically a hard target search going on for them in the resistance. This is such a terrible move for Kai Wen. Like these people have just resisted. Like how hard do you think it would be for them to resist again? Yeah, their knowledge of resistance is very is 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 very highly 
it's, developed. It's so fresh that Shakara is like, look, we're going to retreat up to the stronghold in the hills. You remember the stronghold from like two weeks ago? <laughs> and the other stronghold? Like the food hasn't even molded up there. Like, yeah. like we're ready to go. Yeah, our, our bug out bags supply, like five-year-old supply of water is still drinkable. They fucking want this. Yeah. It's drawing first blood with John Rambo, right? Like it yeah. just kind of like it just kind of activates the the nature that is within them. This is where some elements of the score I felt like were lacking. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to first blood this up a little bit, I think it would really help. Wow. I love that idea. You know? The the sound alike DS9 first blood. God, soundtrack like you get you get kira out of her uniform and into like a poncho mm-hmm. you you rough up shikara a little bit kira is running topless through the woods it finds a an oil cloth at an old mine site <laughs> that's what i'm Wraps saying it around herself like rambo <laughs> that's what i'm saying i think you just you just wanted me to picture kira topless adam <laughs> There are a few punch-ups you can do on this episode to kind of dirty it up. And I don't mean topless dirty. I know, but you can't show boobs on TV like that. Only HBO, Adam. I'm talking about actual dirt, not sexual dirt. (laughs) First Blood was aired on the USA Network every weekend for like 10 years. (laughs) You can show that on TV. Okay. But I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying that our society treats a man with his shirt off differently from a woman with her shirt off. Right. Obviously. I say free the nipple, Adam. I don't know. If this was getting too intense for you, we cut back to Deep Space Nine where O'Brien is playing darts against a Vulcan. Yeah, the uh, the yakety sex of B-stories is back. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien is so confident in the scene that I felt like he was sandbagging. Like... Like, O'Brien does the whole shoulder pops out while he grabs for a drink from Quark, and I was like, oh, he's fucking with Quark. Like, this right. is this is a con. There's this moment and, uh, and another moment we'll talk about later, but I kept thinking that. Like, I kept thinking that O'Brien was going to, like, was, like, running a, a hustle, essentially. And- I want to ask you directly, do you think this is... This means a teleplay success or a failure if you and I both jump to the same conclusion so quickly and it was not true. I mean, I think that there are times where you jump to a conclusion and then the show defies that and it is a success. Yeah. It's it's sleight of hand when it's successful. Like, it's leading you to believe one thing is going on and then when, when the reveal happens, it, you know, makes you understand things on a whole new level this is unsatisfying though that that the reality is that he was reaching for a a beer and popped his shoulder out of socket not realistic not satisfying not good and played for not really happening you know like it makes it seem like o'brien and bashir are in cahoots to to bilk quark out of a bunch of money and everything about the way it's being like I, i almost wonder if they like had that storyline and decided to reshoot it for some reason. It feels like it was cut out for time. It, yeah. It is shocking to me that that wasn't the truth of the story. I can't imagine that it wasn't initially in a version of the script or even something that they shot but had to cut for time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It blew me away that that wasn't the truth at the moment. 
I'm right there with you. So O'Brien reaches back for a cup of beer in a uh, 1990s commuter mug of <laughs> commuter coffee mug and uh, tears something in his shoulder and uh, has to be escorted out of there by Dr. Bashir for like immediate emergency shoulder surgery. Here's the thing about the gambling logic of this episode that doesn't hold together is Quark plays this as a huge loss for him. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be. It's, he right. should not give a shit about... Like, if anything, O'Brien losing as 15 to 1 is actually, like, great. Because as, a, as such a heavy favorite, he should have been bet more than the Vulcan. Right. Like, his liability... Like, that's what the ratio is about, right? There should be two people in the bar that bet 15 to 1 on the Vulcan. Like, it, yeah. shouldn't, it shouldn't make a difference to Quark. Right. They need a gambling ombudsman on this show, and I should be that person. Yeah, if they ever have any Ferengis on Discovery, uh, the uh, the writers' room should know who to call. God, I'm gonna be so happy when the first Ferengi shows up on Disco. <laughs> Big fan, man. What do you think they'll do with the loaf? What do you think they're gonna do with the whips? <laughs> <laughs> Double whips. <laughs> yeah. Everything's double. (laughs) Yeah. This Vulcan is played by Sherman Howard, Ben, which you might remember from the Suddenly Human TNG app who had that human son, uh, Jono, who did that annoying scream when he was uh, Picard's roommate. Remember that guy? Wait a second. This is another example of Star Trek recasting people. Uh, Yeah, the Vulcan was the dad. He was not the son. Right. And Sherman Howard could also have been in he the- He should be Shakar. He should be, yeah. He, like, he, he has the thing that John Doman has that should have been what Shakar has. They did a grizzled casting call, and they cast all the grizzled guys in these other bit parts instead of for Shakar. They must have had like a three-card Monty with these three actors, and the cards just landed on the wrong spots on you the table. You need Chris Christopherson to play Shakar. That's what you need, and for some reason, you you cast this blow-dry guy as Shakar, who's great. Like, it's not his fault he's good-looking, but give me a break. Like, he doesn't have farmer hands. Do you remember the character Lee Nallis, who Kira liberated from that camp, and then, like, kind of, you know, he was, like, supposed to be a war hero, but it was a little bit more complicated? How could I forget? That's That's who Shakar is cast to be, right? He's like a reboot of that guy. I feel like they didn't think Lee Nallis as a thing worked yeah. at the time when they killed him off. And so I'm shocked that they would recast a, knee, a Lee Nallis type person right. to be this character. Yeah. Like all of the heroes of the resistance roughly fit. Like they would all get pulled over by the cops if a description <laughs> of them went out. Right. Yeah. You really want to do this here now? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Back on Bajor, Kai Wynn and Cisco discuss the situation. Like, Kai Wynn has sort of pulled him in for a meeting, a McLaughlin group, if you will. Issue one. She's done with Kira, so now she has to deal with Cisco. And Wynn has had to suspend the government in some areas of Bajor and declare martial law in some provinces because Shikar's actions have been so uh, inspiring. Like, they've emboldened sympathy to the resistance of militias. What I need is your help. What kind of help? And Cisco plays this great. Cisco's like, so, 
Looks like you're having a little bit of a problem. W slash R slash T uh, ruling the planet. <laughs> What's up with martial law? <laughs> like, uh, it seems like a fairly insane overreaction to some tractors being <laughs> missing or whatever. And Kai's like, look, I've got a great deal to propose to you. How about I withdraw the militia and instead you use Federation security to bring Shakar to justice? And Cisco's like, the fuck? <laughs> like I will ever do that. Like she pitches this to him as as this will help our two societies grow closer together. Like- Cisco's like, I wouldn't give you new reclamators. What makes you think that I would give you Federation security? <laughs> you should have asked me for the reclamators. Come on. The fact that she doesn't, like, that's where it should be in the script, right? She should right, say. Right, exactly. And, and then there should be a reason why they can't be provided. Yeah. And, and That's where it should happen. And we get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it works. And instead, that gaping plot hole got left in the script. Uh, and it's such, it would have been so great to see Cisco throw that back in her face like that. And but instead, it's a very natural, very reasoned, like, of course, I'm not going to do that yeah. response from Cisco. Right. And this is kind of where, like, I, I feel like every single episode with this character in it, she she shows her true stripes at some point. Yeah. And this is that moment in this episode where she uses a don't you see pivot into mm-hmm. saying, this is like like our society needs to be ordered and structured and and follow the rules and rule of law etc 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 she just re- reveals herself to be a total authoritarian yeah and the visual language of the shot underscores that the hero shot her from below she's yeah. super pissed and she threatens to withdraw from federation membership yeah like she looks like this. like cisco's going to be hurt about that like okay <laughs> sure like withdraw from membership that is an insane thing to do right now yeah and like to talk even more about the visual language like they've been at her desk and in this moment she walks over to like the altar in the Mm -hmm. religious portion of her office and Mm stands between like candles and religious symbols and it's a very directory shot it's it's basically saying that like the dogma of this is couched in the dogma of religion and and like that is what is bad about it the thing that took me out of the episode is the moment that kaiwin took off her pope hat and then touched her hands to both tesla coils and then (laughs) and then her hair shot out with like that that big static hair look i mean it's a power move in some circumstances but in this one i thought it was just cartoonish yeah crazy the stuff with the resistance cell has gotten very exciting. Like this is two weeks yeah. into this conflict and we're seeing like major movements of, of guerrilla troops running around on the scree sided mountains of Bajor. Right. And there's some like really flashy, like long ass dolly shots of them running through this terrain. Yeah. Much more dynamic and expensive camera work than we ever get in Star Trek. The feeling here is sport. And that's one of the reasons this episode fails. Like their spirits are good. They're sort of like their jocularity in their escape and their struggle is a thing that grounds me in the feeling that 
the resistance is going to be okay instead of they're being outnumbered by the militia and the darkness of fighting your own people like that reveals itself later mm-hmm. but that should be the underpinning to all of this yeah like can they keep up the pace can they like is this a survivable situation with older people it never feels dangerous just enough lip services paid to that that it's clear that they were aware of those as being interesting elements yeah. of this story you know, like occasionally the character will be like massaging his ankle or whatever. Either I am getting older, or these mounds are getting higher. And, yeah. and they talk about, oh, this is a this is harder than the old days. And you know, I think it's probably just that, like, they don't let anybody get killed or anything. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they should be losing their friends left and right, and being like really confronted with whether this plan actually has any hope of working i think they saved the danger of this for too late yeah because when the militia walks into the canyon and the resistance fighters have the high ground there's that moment when kira recognizes a guy and that's the john doman character from the wire and from here the view is two of my detectives fucking the dog that's the moment that the realization hits that they're fighting people they know and there's some resistance to the idea of like are they really going to do this their fingers are on the trigger they're ready to shoot some guys in the head and they get right up to the point where they're going to do it and then they can't like kira and shikar both share this moment simultaneously yeah so shikar reveals himself and walks down and this is a great scene this is maybe the best scene in the episode like colonel lenaris is the john doman character and they have that great moment of like talking shop as two warriors yeah which i love i wanted to thank you for a long time i had a brother at galatep when you liberated the camp like they're both sharing experiences from the resistance and they're both like doing the kind of like respect necks of like yeah like saying a, a thing that they heard about that the other one did yeah so it's it's fraught, but it's not painful the way I was hoping it would be. Right. And, uh, and like, the tension is really well done here, I think. Like, the idea that, like, a guy gets an itchy trigger finger and, and you know, it looks like it's just going to turn into, like, a bloodbath at one point before everybody can get their your, their cooler heads on. As much as I love... Nana Visitor in this scene and the guy who plays Shakar, it's John Doman's time to shine here. He is bringing that wire energy to it that yeah. is so fucking intense. He is great. He is so good. And I mean, like, he has this level of authority. And I mean, he uses this at the wire, like that that feeling of like i'm i'm so far above you as as a superior that it's like almost a joke that i'm even talking to you but that's such a difference like he's i know what you mean like he's condescending in the wire without being condescending like it's such a power move to not be a dick about the power imbalance that you have while still wielding it and that he does a little bit in the wire but what he does in this episode is not dickish. Yeah. It's a guy knowing where, what his status is. Adam, I looked. Uh, I was looking at John Doman's IMDb, and he has a hundred, perfectly one hundred acting credits on his IMDb wow. as of this recording. Wow! This is his fifth. What? Yeah. 
he did like way to buy low on John Doman, Deep Space Nine. Like, good job, good casting. The, the thing he did right before this in '95 was Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then he's just got like eight to twenty credits every year after that. Fuck, he's really great. He is just so great. If you're a casting director and you see this scene, you fucking sit up in your chair, right? Yeah, it feels like he's acting in a different television show. He's that good. And like when, you know, when he's like disciplining the the guy that licks the shot in the atmosphere. Lieutenant, take this man's weapon and get him off the perimeter. Holy shit, like Picard is the only other person in all of Star Trek that has ever big dogged that hard. Gene Hackman isn't a working actor anymore, but if what I want is a Gene Hackman type, I think I want John Doman for that role. Yeah, he's so great. He's He is Hackman-esque in his ability to do this. He is so great. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. That changing light at the bottom of the canyon, I think, is really notable for people like you and me because... They start that scene in midday. Like, it's fairly clear that the light on the canyon is midday. Yeah. They're using a scrim for the conversation at the bottom to knock down the light. But the light is, like, pretty hard on on the background. So they change the perspective as the conversation goes on to a more flat look. Like flat as in they bring the camera down so that you're shooting in uh, in profile a little bit more. Right. And what happens here is that the light on the hills darker because it's not midday anymore. And they've started to use non-practical light. Like they've taken the scrim away and they're lighting the actors. Yeah. And that changes the feeling of the scene as the emotions of the scene change. Like, I don't think this is an intentional move based on the heightened to lowered emotions of the scene i think this is a production thing that happened during their shooting day yeah but it's noticeable in a way that i think people should realize i think that the thing to watch for is like you know john doman doesn't have the thickest head of hair and you watch the the spot of bright light on his shiny forehead go away over the course of the scene yeah and the lighting gets much flatter and evener right I agree with you that they probably just shot it in this order because it's the order that the scene goes in and Yeah, you're just trying to make your day. And the and and the light changed over the course of that, but also like good planning to shoot it at yeah. that part of the day because that light change is very appropriate for the scene. And like you know, like when you go into an outdoor shoot like this, your DP has has a sun chart and knows what the light is going to be doing over the course of the day and has planned for it. So, yeah, you know, it's fortuitous that as the feeling changes, the lighting changes. Right. It's fortuitous, but it's all, it also bespeaks like good planning. Right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. The outcome of this scene is kind of only implied and it is only implied because we kind of cut away because the agreement that is implied to have been met is that he agrees that the orders he was sent out on to like capture or kill them are bad and that uh he'd actually rather support Shakar for a for being in charge of the government than the than the Kai. Right. They show up at her office, the three of them, and she initially thinks that 
Shakar and Kira are there as prisoners. I see you brought me a pair of gifts. And John Doman is like, no, no, no. Like, let me disabuse you of that immediately. They are not my prisoners. I am actually on their team now. Shakar is not there as a prisoner. He's there as a candidate. Because guess what, Ben? Shakar is running for first minister. He's running. (laughs) (laughs) Shakar is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shikar published a book about his uh, his childhood and how it formed his political belief system. I got to tell you, like Colonel Linares, like what he what he believes, I'll follow. Like his endorsement of Shikar here means a lot to me as a viewer. Yeah, he says that he and all the other like military commanders are on are are uh, li- lining up to join the Shikar party, and. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is, you know, Kai Wynn was initially going to run unopposed for captain minister or whatever, but... Uh, yeah, it's great. Like, she she interprets this as a coup, but it's not a coup because it's a free election. Yeah. And, the, like, the difference is that once word gets out on the John Deere scandal that Kai Wynn has embroiled, has embroiled herself in, like, it's it's not even a contest. Like, Kai Wynn is going to lose. Yeah. Because of how she's conducted herself. I think it's interesting how dangerous she seems as a character, given how often she takes the L at the end of an episode. Well put. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think that's just the strength of Louise Fletcher's performance, but she she still feels- She's a scary loser. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't feel like this necessarily leaves us in a safe place with her. Yeah. Yeah. Back at Quark's, uh, O'Brien is feeling much better post-rotator cuff surgery. He's feeling great, uh, but his heater is gone. Ben, he's not in the, he's not in the zone anymore. Is, this, is the implication here that it was, it was a jam-up, that he didn't, in fact, get his shoulder fixed, and that the scam that they're running is just that O'Brien doesn't want to be a party of the gambling craze that's currently gripping Quark's bar. It wasn't a scam. They never betrayed that. Right, but if like like a scam where the come up is that O'Brien gets out of people being interested in him being in the zone. I mean, they're missing a line of dialogue if that's the truth. It's it would just be very subtly implied. Yeah. But not like not in a way that seems good. <laughs> Right. No, exactly. It's like, yeah. I mean, like, here's here's what makes me think maybe, maybe that's what's going on is Starfleet officers are meant to be so virtuous. Like, maybe whoever wrote this is so dipped in that premise that they would never make the scam be we're stealing money from Cork and always make the scam be we're just getting out of the like remunerative remunerative aspect of this entirely because that's not what we do we're starfleet what it it makes me think that if you and i are picking up so hard on this visual language and the subtlety of what we think is happening yeah that like i don't think we're reading anything into this that isn't there no. Could it in fact be there and there and Deep Space Nine is operating at such a level that like that that's the intent? God, I kind of think that's what's going on. I'm just I'm unable to believe that. I I want to believe that that's how they're doing it, but I also 
I also don't think that it's that sophisticated of a show at this point. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Deep Space Nine. It just seems like a language they don't speak. I might just be talking myself into this. Like, yeah. literally, it's an idea that occurred to me as we were talking about it. And, like, the last thing in my notes is they didn't screw Quark? What the fuck? <laughs> that was the last note I wrote about this episode. Yeah, the button on the app is instead... A cut to Kira and Cisco at Kira's quarters. Yeah, she's got her, like, rucksack coming home from having been away for a really long time. (laughs) And playing in the dirt and stuff, and she's not dirty. Yeah. And she's, like, uh, yeah, she just is explaining the kind of, like, new political situation on Bajor. Like, it's it's in the bag for Shakar. Shakar's like Wario. He's like, I'm going to win. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the last image, I guess, is uh, Kira kneeling in front of that uh, great big dick candle and blowing it out. If you blow out the dick candle in an episode that Shakara is in, does that mean that you are down with Shakar? Like, is that the implication here? Boy, if that's true, Kira really does have a type. I like Shakar for her. He's, he's he's got way more charisma than uh, than Beryl. Yeah, but he's miscast, and that's sad. Yeah, yeah. You need Chris Christopherson in that <laughs> for sure. Did you like this episode, Ben? It's a weird episode. I mean, uh, there's a lot I like it really about is. it. It's one of those ones where the A and B story are just total oil and water, and you can't imagine yeah. how they found themselves in the same teleplay. But I guess I like it. I like that the more I think about the O'Brien storyline, the less I feel like I understand it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like it could mean so many things now. How about you, Adam? I think if you took out the B story here and replaced it with a Cisco-centric B story where he's working the politics on his end between Bajor and the Federation... And maybe the conflict is him trying to get the replicators sent there, and there's some reason that the Federation can't do that because Bajor isn't a member of the Federation. The idea of what's best for Bajor is a conflict that's traded between Kai Wynn and Kira and Kira and Shakar and Shakar and Kai Wynn. Like there's this triangle of this conflict that is related to the Federation membership that I wish they drilled a little deeper on. Right. Like, we get the micro level with the farmers and the government, but like it would have been good to get a little bit more macro. Like, cut back to Deep Space Nine and don't give us the fucking dart shit. Give us Cisco trying to work that aspect on his end. Like, if people are truly starving on Bajor and the reclamators are that big of a deal, yeah. then then it's a it's a life and death situation, and life and death are not the stakes of this ep. And they have to be in order to trigger the resistance that we see here. That's why I can't really like this episode, is because the logic of it just doesn't quite hang together. Yeah. Political instability, I feel like, is something that they haven't quite made their minds up on for Bajor. Yeah. you Because, know, like, a genuinely politically unstable place is a really scary place to be like if you like i've never actually been to a country that is politically unstable but i've been to 
some that like have been oh banned really well i'm just saying like i'm i'm just saying like like it affects things down to the architecture you know mm. like if if you live in a dangerous city in a dangerous country like all of the like property that is of any value has lar- like like high walls and gates and guards and right. stuff and and so like it doesn't feel like you know like normal middle class houses are behind gates and yeah and 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 that's not what like a a stable society does it's uh no and and like the idea that that's what Bajor might be, that it's, it is so damaged by the exit of the Cardassians that it's like that, where it's not safe to go out at night. It's, uh, you know, like you, you're getting shaken down by the cops who are there to extract bribes and not enforce the law. Like, like stuff like that would make Bajor seem like a much more desperate place. And I don't think that they're really meaning to po- paint it as that. So the idea of just like, Hey, like there's a popular armed resistance movement in the hills, and now the guy that's leading it is running for president, and he's gonna win. You know, it like it. Yeah, it's hard to like connect the the two ideas in a way that makes sense. If Bajor was portrayed in the same way that Kronos was portrayed in <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, yeah, like that would make for a far more interesting conflict here. But because Bajor is portrayed as being so safe. Filled with good-looking farmers. Yeah. It's hard to feel like the stakes are that high. It's just a slightly sadder version of the Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ben, I need to go pee, and then let's do pee once, okay? Okay. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Oh, Ben, I'm about to pop a couple of Broad brand drinking vitamins. (laughs) Uh, Unbranded content on The Greatest Generation. Just big fans. Barely holding it together right now. We have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first is of a commercial nature. What? I'm not kidding here it's commercial who would want to advertise on a show like ours somebody that wants to reach uh, tens of thousands of awesome friends of DeSoto hmm goes like this it's been a long road getting up off your ass it's been a long time but you've found your home at last and now you can feel the chips are stacking now <laughs> nothing's in your way and you're not gonna exercise alone no, you're not gonna sweat alone, cause you've got Jim Shimoda. In you're the going heart. where they post the swelfies. You've got Jim Shimoda. You could do anything. It's your fa- new Facebook home with friends who cut all the bullshit. You can reach any goal. We've got you. I don't remember how the, to- the the song goes, to be honest. We've got you. You've got Jim. Jim Shimoda. <laughs> oh, Ben. We've got to go do karaoke sometime. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Jerk. 
that came from uh, our friends at uh, Jim Shimoda. It says, thanks for all your kind words, W slash R slash T, Jim Shimoda. Here are scarves of the heart and a song sung to the tune of the Trek Enterprise theme. Wow. I, I, could re- I could remember the Trek Enterprise theme plausibly. <laughs> feel embarrassed and bad <laughs> about that how is, I read that. It's really nice. I I have let my uh, my gym going lapse because, you know, as soon as you enter the new year, the gym is inundated with newbies. Yeah. And you don't so want I'm, to be around those goofballs. I'm kind of waiting them out until February. I know that's bad. But but my my gym's been overrun. Yeah. My my gym locker room is full of of people hair drying their balls. <laughs> Can't deal with it. Ben, we have a second priority one message. It is of a personal nature. It is from Dennis from Minneapolis. Or if I were more worldly, I would say Denny from Minneapolis. <laughs> it is for Adam and Ben. Message goes like this, W slash R slash T, the erotic hollow suite programs at Quark's Bar. Whoa. Do you think the vibe is more Zalman King's Red Shoe Diaries or more <laughs> Cinemax After Dark asking for a friend? Wow. Was Red Shoe Diaries Showtime? Yeah, I think or so. Or was it HBO? I thought it was Showtime. Did Duchovny and Showtime have some deal? I think it's weird how there's been like some revisionist Duchovny in that we forget that he was so closely associated with softcore porn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to make the argument that Californication isn't to some extent. That fucking show. I mean, yeah, agreed. I, 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 like like softcore, softcore porn adjacent itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love David Duchovny and all, but I, yeah, hard agree. Hard agree, but Jesus Christ. They cast actual porn actors in that show. They had so many boobs in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting that two P1s in a row have W slash R slash T as part of them. I mean, to answer the question, I think the Quark's Bar Hollow Suites are hard porn. Is that and Cinemax? I, think I never had Cinemax. No, I don't, and I don't think that's Cinemax. I think that's that's worse than Cinemax. I think it's just that the limits of sexual titillation in the 24th century are such that, like, I think that's just understood. I think I think what is baseline titillative <laughs> arousing is is so high hundreds right. of years from now that it's just commonplace. Everybody's boners are so burnt out on just the most yeah like indulgent porno yeah you've just got a cinder for a dick (laughs) wow well uh if you if there's something about our show that arouses an interest in purchasing a priority one message you can do that over at maximumfund.org slash jumbotron where personal messages are 100 dollars and commercial messages are 200 dollars both of which are a great, great way to support the ongoing production of this program. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time. 
and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I have a question for you, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, for me, the decision was easy. Uh, In that canyon scene, there's a guy that loses his shit and shoots uprange in the canyon. And Colonel Linares is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, are you trying to start a civil war here? 
and yeah. he like grabs him grabs him by the scruff of the neck and like throws him to the back of the line what a putz what a putz <laughs> that guy is that's my shimoda yeah that's uh <laughs> that's a real bozo move yeah you can't do that thought he was gonna f- shoot at me sir yeah you can't do that what about you ben my shimoda is dr bashir there's that uh, opening scene where Cisco is playing darts and gets called away, and he kind of runs into Dr. Bashir on his way into the bar as he is leaving the bar. And um, and he says to uh, Bashir that the chief is uh, over there in the zone. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Bashir looks very concerned. His, his, face, his facial expression is one of extreme concern as Cisco walks out. Um, and uh, it really made me laugh because the logic of it to me was that in the zone could mean so many weird different <laughs> things in this universe. <laughs> like, oh no, do we need to like modify a transporter to get him out of the zone? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, I think that that was all in uh, Alexander Siddig's performance in yeah. a very fun way. Yeah. Agreed. Like, he thought about what that could potentially mean to a guy like Bashir and, and put it on his face in a way that was beautiful to me. <laughs> Good Shimoda. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode, Adam, if you can believe it, is season three, episode 25. What? Facets. Jadzia Dax must come to terms with her feelings of inferiority when she meets her past hosts in an ancient trill, rite of closure. Closure, Adam. It's uh, something we give ourselves. I wonder if she's going to go sit in that hot tub. Oh, yeah, that hot tub. Uh, that hot tub is often associated with getting in touch with yourself on trill. Yeah, as hot tubs frequently are. <laughs> yeah, but don't try and uh, get in touch with anybody else in a hot tub. It's uh, It's not as nice as it sounds like it might be. Ben, what do you say we check out what kind of way we're going to review this next episode. Yeah, I think there should how- be a hot tub square on the board and there isn't. I'll say this also. I wish there were more like, what's that game on windows? That's like, it's minesweeper, isn't it? Like that game where you land on a square and it tells you whether you hit a mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I have a tweak for the game that we're playing right now, it would be fun if, there were squares hidden under numbers that just said whether or not we gave each other coupons for drinking. Because the idea of of having this weapon against each other, I think is super fun. I'd like to continue it. I I like that idea a lot. I mean, maybe uh, we can talk to Craig Anderson who coded this up about what it would take to put some 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 uh some surprise squares into this yeah. thing. Uh, for now, we're on square 67. The square uh, directly ahead is a banger, which would move us back five squares. Uh, in another five squares, there is a quarks bar, and those are the only two hurdles ahead. So what do you say you roll that die, Ben? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Okay, Adam, I have, uh, I have the six-sided virtual dice rolling around in my hand. I'm going to roll it. You want to give it a blow? Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I've rolled a two, Adam. So uh, Nice. Jumped us over the nice. banger. 
We are on square 69. I mean, that right there should be something. <laughs> nice. Should be a hot tub episode. <laughs> <laughs> you really got to get good at holding your breath for that, though. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's, I suppose you do with any 69. I personally don't. I think you got to breathe, Ben. Yeah, but if uh, if if you're doing a 69 with the, a penis-having person and that thing uh, gets, like, all the way down your throat, that <laughs> can close off your airway. 69. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, we could we could land in another Quark's bar next uh, next time. It's we very really possible. Could. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, the truth of the matter, also Ben, is that the raw version of this episode is nearing the two hour mark, which makes it time for us to thank the many people who make this show possible. Gotta thank uh, our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the original theme music. For this show, after uh, chapping and screwing Dark Materia's original theme music for our earlier iteration, The Greatest Generation, not Deep Space Nine, which right. is now canonically what that was called. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got to thank our friend Bill Tilly for making uh, fun and funny trading cards for every single fucking episode that we do. It's something he doesn't have to do. It's something he could take a break from at any point. He still does it. He's the best. We <laughs> owe him a thousand it. pina coladas. We really do. Uh, in pink zebra hoof bottles. I think he'll accept the hoof. <laughs> yeah. Way better than I ever did. Yeah, you were very mad at me when I gave you the pink zebra hoof I'm plastic a, I'm ashamed mug. of how mad I was at that point. Adam, we got to thank... All of the Friends of DeSoto who support us on a monthly basis by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate really uh, makes the difference between us being able to do this show and not. Lest you think that we could just do this show on our own uh, without your support, you you would be wrong in that <laughs> we really and truly do need the support of our viewers to keep this show going. Uh, it's grown too big for us to be able to control, and so we rely on the the generous contributions of our viewers to help keep it going. So uh, at just the $5 level, I think I think this episode has provided $5 worth of entertainment. Ben, yeah. I would recommend that you release the show unedited <laughs> in its full two-hour version with just some interstitials drop it, dropped in uh, so that the viewers can understand just how naturally funny we are. Well, I think that that's like a great point, actually. The editing... That, w- that goes into this show takes as much time as anything. It's insane making how much the show is edited. And yet it is great work to be doing because we care deeply about the quality of the program. We sure do, Adam. So uh, help us out. We love you. Look, if you can't, if you can't lift the $5 a month Just level... Just close the show, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Leave a leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast. I think All that's you important. have to do is begin the sentence and with that, and <laughs> and we could be done. This is. I'm looking at the viewer. Where's where's my camera? Okay, so here it is. Always the one with the red light. This is the longest episode we've ever recorded of the Greatest Generation. <laughs> it's the truth. Ben, is know. it the truth? No. 
What? Just close it. I'm desperate for you to close it. I have to edit this one. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. You're so drunk. <laughs> that must close the show. <laughs> You know what? You reap what you fucking sow, man. You gave me the coupon. You knew what would happen. I should have given it to you on one that you were going to edit. It was my bad. Yeah. You fucked up. I blew it. (laughs) I hoisted myself on my own petard. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.